that that movie is like about my life. My my <laughs> wife's parents are divorced and my parents are divorced. And so like for the first part of our marriage. Oh, so you've done four. That movie is what we did. That movie that movie it is so sucks. great. It, the, well, the movie's great. The, yeah, having the movie's great. Yeah, yeah. Four Christmases for yourself. The experience. Just, yeah. So when you go to your dad's house, do your brothers like MMA fight you in the living room? I wish. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This is Todd at Mercy. Well, this week we get to be joined by T. Tier. Is that your name or nickname? It's my middle name. Uh, your middle name is T. Family name that I was Tier. I was blessed with that name. Yeah. It's, Tier Hardy is a, a United Methodist pastor and a blogger and podcaster. Tell mm. us a little bit about yourself and your podcast. I've stumbled across Crackers and Grape Juice, which after Pod Have Mercy is one of the coolest podcast names, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a United Methodist minister. I'll be ordained um, if the clergy session goes the way it's supposed to. Uh, in June of 2022, because they always go the way they're supposed excited. to. <laughs> no, I just feel like I should. You never know, right now. <laughs> Say, uh, I'm sorry. Just to put it in perspective, though, for people, for people who don't know anything about the United Methodist ordination process, it's taken huh. me three presidential administrations. Yeah. To yeah. get this done. Yeah. Um, so it's not yeah. for the faint of heart. Um, uh, but yeah, and so when I'm not uh, at, at my church um, in Arlington, Virginia, which is just outside of the nation's capital. Uh, I podcast with my uh, dear friend and mentor, Jason Michelli. We started that back in 2016, Crackers and Grape Juice. Um, we've done spinoff shows uh, about Strangely Warmed about the uh, for lectionary preachers. Um, uh, hermeneutics, which uh, is learning how to speak Christian better, mm. gooder. Um, we did two seasons of going through the Christian alphabet. Um, and now we're walking very slowly. At a I was going to say, are you, where you're past, you're past Omicron, right? <laughs> the Greek <laughs> yeah, <episode. laughs> Um, yeah. And then, you know, when I'm not devoting all of my time to ministry and podcasting, I'm that I have two wonderful kids. I'm married to my college sweetheart, uh, and baseball season is starting soon. So I'll be coaching, um, Babe Ruth baseball here in about three weeks. Good for you. Right when so, you said baseball was starting yeah. soon, you didn't mean Major League Baseball. <laughs> not at all. No, nope, that's not. That's not going to happen. I hope. Well, I hope it does happen, but I'm not. I don't know. I'm not. Season. I'm not real confident. No. Open days. Open day is going to happen. But tell us a little bit about your your podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. I think it's some. Oh ways, yeah. I we, mean, we we uh, we. When I stumbled across yours, you, there's some language you use about having conversations, not using like stained glass language, I think it was, which was very similar yeah. to how we got started to have mm -hmm. spiritual conversations in a way that was accessible to people that were not in yeah, not inside or baseball the religious kind of language. language. Yeah. Yeah, the the I mean the the tagline is talking faith without using stained glass language. And it was really began out of conversations that Jason and I were having with one another over text message and just, you know, the occasional phone call. Um, but we, as clergy, we, we, we suck up all this knowledge uh, in seminary. Uh, and then we will like, we'll spew out as much of it as we know, <laughs> as much as we can fit into a sermon. And we rarely stop to explain what it means. Uh, and, and so 
the goal of our podcast is to have really deep, meaningful conversations about tough theological topics, but making them accessible. So if a guest uses a word like Christology, eschatology, anything with an ology at the end, or a word that you would only use in the confines of seminary, we well, mixology, that's, that'll be in June at our brewery live recording. Um, but yeah, we stop the conversation and say, you need to define that word. We were really good about doing that at the beginning of the show. And now we're not as, as Vigilant. good. Um, I, we, we like to think maybe the, the, our audience has grown with us and they've come along with us a little bit. Um, but at the same time, we just get lazy sometimes. So you are a United Methodist up south. What's the, you know, I don't want to talk about United Methodist yet. We'll get there. <laughs> what do you, when you think about, we, we were talking about this a little while ago, well, before you showed up late, <laughs> but you, you were shared and um, would you share again, you were talking about like your favorite podcast that you've done or the most memorable moments that you've had. Yeah. Yeah, the, the best interview uh, is probably also the most somber interview we've done. It's with a guy named Jason Jones. It was within our first 100 episodes that we done, we had done. So we kind of knew what we were doing, um, and we had started this practice of asking um, at the very end of our episodes, our guests, the 10 questions from inside the actor's studio. And the last question, we modified a little bit. The original question is, if heaven exists – as pastors, as Christians, we're going with, since heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? And the backstory on Jason is that his three-year-old son, uh, they had come home from church one day, um, Jason had put his son down for a nap, uh, and then Jason himself went to take an afternoon nap. They lived in Texas, um, and Jason's son woke up before Jason did, and his son went outside, climbed in his, their vehicle, shut the door, um, and it was summer in Texas and, uh, his son ended up dying of, uh, heat stroke. And so we asked Jason, since heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? And Jason didn't say, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, not your grandma is over there or there's beer in the fridge, nothing like that. Jason said, uh, he hopes God will say, I'm sorry. And it was just this gut punch because in all of those questions that up until that point, they had kind of been fun, off the cuff, lighter, lighter moments. But, you know, Jason, who's not, not, not a pastor, uh, just a guy who sits in the pews, who wrote a book about grief, um, really hit home uh, for me as a dad with the same age son that he had or has um, that um, we live in a broken world. It's not perfect, but um, when God has the final say. Um, those things that are tragic will be put and made right. Um, and that's kind of a downer way to start our conversation yeah. with one another. But that's probably the most memorable, probably the most meaningful conversation. And then I was sharing with John that, you know, one of the, the probably the other one, the most fun one was when uh, we were interviewing Rob Bell and my son was potty training and running around our house naked. And so my son's like running back and forth naked behind me while I'm doing um, a Zoom call with with a guest, uh, and then Rob remembered that a few months later when I saw him at a conference. So that was <laughs> what was that? That was fun. What was um, that movie? What was it Four Christmases 
where the little kid, when he's traumatized, he takes all his <laughs> clothes off, runs. he jumps out the window and runs around the yard. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> they can. That's a great movie. If anybody could handle That's it, my, uh, it'd be Rob Bell. <laughs> that that movie is like about my life. My my <laughs> wife's parents were divorced and my parents were divorced. And so like for the first part of our marriage. Oh, I, so you've done for That movie is what we did. That, move, that movie it is so sucks. great. It, the, well, the movie's great. Uh, yeah, having the movie's great. Yeah, yeah. Four Christmases for yourself. The experience, just... yeah. So when you go to your dad's house, do your brothers like MMA fight you in the living room? <laughs> I wish I could take my brother. He's so much smaller than me. There you go. I got like a hundred pounds on him. He couldn't handle me. You know, one of the things you do also. I mean, you're having conversations around deeper, big topics. How do you find um, that's resonate? We we talk a lot about. There's an audience that's paying attention. There are people that are paying attention. There are people that are hungry for spirituality. But man, they're not really jiving or connecting with organized religion. And so when you see all the trends of the growing, like I think it's a million millennials a year that depart from organized religion, continues to grow. But when I run, aqua- when I run across um, young people, because I'm old now, uh, when I run across young people... They love to have spiritual conversations. They're having spiritual conversations. But I think American Christianity, we haven't done, especially in the last two years, my thing I keep saying is, man, we, they turned the flame up, the pressure got turned up, and we performed really poorly. Uh, we showed the level of depth we had, which was not much. <laughs> and so I, I think when you're thinking about having these conversations, what are, what are you see or sense that the hunger is out there in the world for the generations that really not tied into church, what are they looking for? What are they wanting to hear churches say, or what are they wanting to see churches become? I think the first thing is just honest. Churches being honest about what they believe and not doing a bait and switch. I mean, how often can you, like you can go, there's a, there's a new church that's opening. Um, and I'm not trying to, bash on other churches don't hear please me like we are a but bashing go, friendly church oh yeah we just podcast. bash away like if, if you yeah. give us a chance if you go to their you website like you don't know what they believe like they have no idea what they believe. Like, they believe in jesus they believe in the bible they preach from the bible which them being a bible preaching church implies that i might not be a bible preaching church um i quote the bible in my sermons more than i quote um you know willimon or Power Wass or Rutledge. Like I, I do that. Like I'm doing what you're doing. So I think it's honesty. It's being upfront and not doing a bait and switch because when the bait and switch happens, that's when people walk away. So I think it's honesty, number one. And then the second, the, the big one that I keep harping on in, in my, in my congregation right now is what, what, what um, David Zoll over at Mockingbird Ministries calls gospel. Um, it is the gospel masked and just full of law. You know, it, this coming Sunday is um, the first Sunday in Lent with Jesus being tempted in the, in the, in the wilderness by Satan. And Satan does a lot of if then, you know, if you do this, then you'll get that. And that's often how the gospel gets presented. If you do X, Y, Z, then you can have the grace of God. If you do such as if you do a laundry list of things that the person who's prescribing them probably isn't themselves doing, then you'll in, enjoy um, God's presence and blessing in your life. And that's actually the exact opposite 
of, of how the gospel works, that the gospel is God pursuing us at all costs to the point of death. Um, and that uh, there's nothing we can do to outrun that love, that pursuit of God. Uh, and there's nothing that we have to do before God will turn toward us. Um, because it's not that we're waiting for God to turn towards us because God has already done that in Christ. Um, I think that's a more powerful message um, and more convincing message than um, do these five things first and then you'll have a, you know, you'll be able to have a relationship with God or um, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to um, feel, experience God's presence in, in your life. Because I, I truly believe that that's not how Jesus operated in his earthly ministry. Uh, it, and I don't know why we keep turning towards that in our own ministries within the church. What's the role of uh, mystery then uh, in that context and the role of kind of doubt um, that sometimes mm. in those places get set up as antithetical to faith? And so um, what's, what's the role of, of, of those maybe two things in the way you understand uh, what the church is and has to offer? I think, I think we all have doubts. Anybody who says they don't have doubts, I think is lying. Jesus's own disciples had doubts. Um, Thomas gets a bad rap, right? Doubting Thomas. Let me put, let me poke my hand, my finger through your hand or, or in, you know, in, in, in your ribs, um, after the resurrection, I think doubts are, are, are a part of our lives. It's a part of us um, making sense of the world around us because doubts are us um, wrestling with two options or more than two options, I guess, the multiple options as they are presented to us. Um, you, we can go with the ways of the world, which if we look at humanity's track record, isn't that great? We have a um, tendency to do harm to one another uh, in, in the uh, pursuit of propping ourselves up, whether that's intentional or unintentional. Um, and then uh, we also, there are times when it can feel as though God is distant. Um, there are, it can feel as though we are in this on our own. And I don't think those times are easy. Um, but then if, if you're in one of those moments and then you hear that you have to do X, Y, Z before you'll come out of it or before God will, will, will step in. Um, I, I think because so often the law is set up the law that I keep saying law, I'm using stained glass language, the things that people say that we have to do, um, the boxes that need to be checked, um, it, it can often feel as though th those are, we, we can't do them anyways, or we can't do them right or to the point to where we feel like we have earned whatever we're supposed to earn. So then we give up and we go with, um, we give into doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think, I don't think faith is easy. Faith is never easy. No. Um, the disciples themselves struggled with it. I mean, and those guys spent every waking day with Jesus for three years. Um, and so I, if, if they didn't get it right, you know, if, if Peter didn't get it right uh, and still could be the rock of the church, I, th I think that there is hope 
for those of us who doubt today um, and those of us who just don't necessarily um, understand how God is always at work. Yeah, churches are not safe space to, Lord, I haven't been historically for you to express your doubt or your questions. Yeah. Well, like you've said, and like we've kind of been talking about occasionally, that uh, that often Christianity gets reduced to these kind of propositional statements about security. So faith becomes a way to secure your life, whether, rather than how do you walk through the absolute veritability of life in a way that um, d- doesn't secure it. There's no secure space in faith, right? It's not about securing your spell. It's about how do you live faithful in the midst of a, a world that's kind of in, in, internally and externally is often in chaos. I think churches that are disrupting people's minds are going... Mm-hmm. When I say that, I mean, yep, yep. like, we, one of the things we're doing a lot here is talking about, okay, we got to do a better job of really confronting with with a deeper sense of formation. We, we American Christianity thinks a mile wide and inch deep, to use an old South Georgia spread manure saying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and we have equated... Um, spiritual maturity with biblical knowledge. And I tell people here all the time, some of y'all are in way too many Bible studies. And I, and they get mad at me, and I mean it in the way that saying, you're filling your head up with all this stuff, but you have, haven't actually learned how to integrate it in real right. time in the stress and the pain. And so when you look at the last two years, well, the last two years has been longer than that, but the last two years to me was a clinic on difficulty. And you think that's bad, like we've dealt with in America. Think about what Christians now are dealing with in Ukraine or in the rest of the world as we're dealing with, we're talking about life and death situation, not just whether or not you have to wear a mask in the grocery store. Yeah. And we just didn't, we did not behave well. We did not perform well. We did not, we use whatever term you wanted. It it showed us for what we were. And we've been hearing people. And we're reaping the people, people have been condemning organized religion and church for so long. And we were like, ah, you don't know. I don't know. We just said, okay, you're right. Yeah. Look, look at us. Look at us. We're going to divide everything that we can divide. We're going to separate everything we divide and separate in a city based on ideas, right? Politics, race, Lead masks, each other vaccines. in the road on different sides of the road. And then... Do it all in the name of Jesus. This is where this is where I think John Wesley says one time in a discussion with somebody, "Your God is actually my Satan." <laughs> the, the way that you are kind of proclaiming God—that's actually the way I understand the way Satan works. And your way you've been teaching the last couple of weeks about Diabolus being the divider—you know mm-hmm. that that energy that divides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whenever we divide, and so often those those conversations don't. You know, we talk about all. You know the last two years, masks and mandates and vaccines and, and, you know, are churches really being shut down? Are they not being shut down? And the reality of what we're talking about is not the gospel, right? And in those conversations, churches are not arguing about whether or not they are able to still proclaim the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ in our tradition for the transformation. Or maybe fight freaking we're talking about people. <laughs> How about that? How about not proclaim right? Jesus only in word, but actually be Jesus where people are getting kicked out of their apartment complex and are hungry? Like, like That's where I think we've reduced the idea of Jesus to a bunch of propositional statements that then I'm trying to talk you into. And so conversion means, would you say yes to some ideas I have about something that might or might not exist? Right? That's crazy. 
That's what evangelical theology has done, and that's why it's run us aground off of, I think, really the claims of the gospel that says we have to go do and follow Jesus in the world, right? So Matthew 25 ought to scare the crap out of us, right? All the people that proclaim to know but don't do are the ones that are left on the wrong side of the line. All those that, that have no idea what to proclaim but are actually doing find themselves in the mission of Jesus. He wasn't right? kidding when he said he was coming in hot. I'm coming in hot, Jeez, man. Dude. I got I to <laughs> Sounds good. But like the 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 reclaiming of that word, uh, you were talking about, you know, evangelical Christianity has done that. Uh, we had a guy on the podcast a couple months ago. His name's Ryan Burge. Ryan Burge takes all of those like pew studies and like distills them down into uh, understandable <laughs> graphs, right? Mm-hmm. So you, right, so I, you don't have to read fifty pages of pew. You can just go to his Twitter feed and he'll make sense of it for you. Great, like he's way too much time on his hands and smarter uh, than he needs to be, but. After the previous election cycle, um, 87% of, uh, of a group of people who voted for a certain person uh, in, in a recent national election identified themselves as evangelical. And when they dove into what they meant by evangelical, it wasn't that they were pointing to Christianity. They were point, The word evangelical is now a political marker. Oh, yeah. So even within sure. the church, our own language has been co-opted by um by ourselves and, and by people who, who have since left the church and are using it as a way um, to just to to divide us further, which makes the work that the church is trying to do today that much harder. Because we're not only fighting with ourselves about, you know, um, who gets to use the label of whatever it is, but we're also fighting about theology. And, and you know, like, like Matt said, like, we're trying to figure out, like, what catchphrase can I get you to buy into versus, hey, your what neighbor, relationship do you enter into? <laughs> right. Like how like this has been the most the, the perfect time for us to really dive into that whole understanding that Jesus says of, you know, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Every religion has this. And I, we're not special in that. But we have this these past two years were a perfect opportunity for the church to do that. And how many of us didn't? How many of us still aren't? Um, I, I color me 100% guilty, right? I live in an area where we don't talk to each other. We drive into our driveways, we get out, we go in the house, and that's the way we do it. Hmm. Um, you know, I live pre-pandemic here in DC. You could ride the subway and be literally touching someone else, but don't you dare make eye contact with them or ask them how their day is. You could be at the gym working out next to someone. You know, your sweat is like dropping on one another. It's disgusting. Can you imagine breathing that heavily close to someone right now? Right. And don't you dare turn over them and like give them a high five and say like, great job on that PR. Because we, we don't even like, we're not even able to have a relationship with, with one another. Um, and then, so it's no surprise that we can't love our neighbors. And then it's no surprise that if we can't love our neighbors, we probably aren't doing a great job of loving ourselves either. Like we're seeing that in droves of people getting burnout on just life in general and, and opting to um, whether it's resigning from uh, an occupation, withdrawing from their family and friends. Um, you know, we need to recapture the ability to be in relationship with one another in the same way that like Jesus insisted on being in relationship with the people that he ministered to when he healed people, he was in a physical relationship with them. You know, they would touch him and, they would they would be healed. He 
physically broke bread and gave it to people. Um, and, and all of those things, that there, there wasn't the, um, you know, he, he wasn't asking them if, if they were able to, to uphold the 617 parts of the Jewish law at the time. It was, you're hungry, here's, here's food. You're, you're blind, here. You're made whole. Um, and I just, you know, I, I really love what you said, Matt, about, you know, we've, like, we've missed it. We've reduced it to the point that we've, we've completely like distilled the gospel even out of it. And, and now it's just getting you to buy into whatever brand that I'm trying to sell um, that has a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top of it enough um, to, that I can maybe get my 501c3 rating. Yeah, one of the things that really um, kind of pissed me off over the last couple of years is when people say, well, especially in our denomination, you know, we are Orthodox, <laughs> we are evangelical, and we have a high view of Scripture. And if you don't come to join us, then you are progressive and liberalized, <laughs> and yeah, you demon on and on and on and on and on this thing goes. And I just, it's such a false dilemma. And yeah. it's to me, it's yeah, the same yeah, thing yeah. in the wilderness Jesus was presented with, because he comes right out of his baptism, and God says, the Father says, you are my son. And mm -hmm. then the devil says, if you are the son of God, then... And so he tries to define how, he's, how he should live into it, which are all these false ways. And, and uh, you know, it's false dilemma. Well, if A is true, then you must do B. It's like, well, in the, the, other, the other thing we're dealing with is the whole definition of terms. You know, watching people get into it on Twitter about, you know, oh, that's not orthodox. And some guy goes, well, I don't think you get to define orthodox. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, orthodox has always meant this. It's like, <laughs> so you got to define the terms first. What does that even mean? Like when you're talking about stained glass language, the way I learned in seminary is that orthodox was all about the creeds. It was all about Jesus and the identity of Jesus and the identity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was all about defining that. Was Jesus, you know, all human, or was he all divine, or was he half and half, or was he all in all? And, and they argued about all this stuff in all these early councils of Nicaea and Chalcedon and all this sort of stuff. And once they sort of hammered all that out, they have all these creeds. And all these creeds, like if you're along these creeds, then you're Orthodox. Yeah. At least that's what they've taught for 2,000 years. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, Orthodox means all these other things that I want to include on Orthodoxy. Yeah. And that I'm, I don't like that. Yeah, and I also wonder if that's just a weapon of mass distraction, because then we get involved in the area of ideal solely, and then it's just another way that we don't have to actually love our neighbor. It's a way that we don't have to cross the divides that are in our lives. It's a way that I don't actually have to lay down my life for uh, another. And so I can get involved in theological arguments that really have no bearing on the way that the world is transformed. And Jesus often was either... Um, 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 un uncovering those kinds of distractions, or he would not enter into them, right? Um, because what he was doing was action in the world for these kinds of different vision of social relationships ordered differently, you know? And he, I, I just think, I think at some point the, the Elvis has left the building, you know? And the church is left with, you know. It's just so you are, and the other thing is, to, if you're going to become a church, that's centered on doctrine, you better have a really strong hierarchy and a, like a pope, right? The, the re, you got to have a pope 
or a king bishop or something. Or at least a KGB. So if you're going to create a <laughs> whole new church around doctrine, <laughs> and you're going to take all the power away from the like the yes. bishops in the episcopacy. You better not say we when you baptize no, someone. I mean, it, what I'm saying is you. That's that doesn't logically make any sense to me. How's that going to work? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to have a secret committee, right? Yeah. There's gonna have to be a secret committee somewhere, like at a country club, the secret membership people. committee. Who, when you turn your application in, they go, "Oh, I don't like this guy. He's a plaintiff's lawyer. He sues people like me. We're not gonna let him in." But you never know the reason. That's right. You just said, "Hey, it was nice knowing you. Yeah. See you. You're not welcome." <laughs> Here's a left foot of Christian fellowship. This is a, the perfect like, church. The, the, the whole, Are we mad today? I feel like I know it does have it does have this. Maybe it's just tear. It's like this. It's like this vibe, man. I, I it's like the, the, the cloud. We're usually just like, well, no, eh, whatever. Uh, it's like the Happy Hell-a-V. Gilmore podcast, but not today. <laughs> Get a bunch of Methodist ministers together, and it's just, it and we haven't even talked. Well, we're kind of right alluding now. to denominational stuff, and not really talking about it. <laughs> I, it is what I mean, but like that's the thing, like you know, and and. If you pull a hundred Christians into a room and you ask them what they believe, you're going to get a hundred different answers. You pull a hundred clergy into a room, you're going to get a hundred different answers. And if you do the same exercise the next day, you're going to get different answers all over. Again. My answer will be different. Um, our th- <laughs> our theology is always changing because the, the theology is like the work is is the way that we make sense of God in the world, the way we make sense of our own encounters with God individually and corporately. Um, and I would like to think that our encounters with God are not one-time-only events. Like we are, wh- whether it's, I don't know why I'm pointing to my Bible. You can't see Keep it. Whether you're to. reading I, your Bible. I have faith that it's I, I've there. I've got two of them here. Wow. I have two of them there. I, <laughs> right? I'm, and I'm a Methodist. We read the Bible, apparently. Um, so you, if you're constantly engaging with God, you, your theology should be changing a bit because you're changing with it. God is working in your life. That doesn't mean it's going to be drastic changes. doesn't mean we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't know where that expression came from, but I don't know why you'd ever want to throw a baby out. So like, we're not going to do that, but we, we, we could say, hey, the, the same God who was at work in creation, molding, shaping, creating, doing all these amazing things, maybe God is still creating something in us today. And, and, and that's okay. And it's okay to be a little scared in those moments because, I mean, none of us like change. That's probably, for me, aside from the, you know, the, the, all the people that have died over the last year, the just constant barrage of change coming at us mm-hmm. without much warning has been so difficult. Um, and as a pastor, you know, you throw on top of that providing pastoral care, um, and then all of the anxieties and confusion and anger, because church is the one thing that's never changed. And for over the last two years, we've had to change. <laughs> you know, uh, my grandmother would have told you, you know, she was singing the same hymns in the church that Jesus sung when he was going to church, sitting in the first pew, right? Like those types of things have changed. Um, and, and, and we don't deal with deal well with it. And so we lash out at one another. Rather than just taking a pause and saying, maybe God is at work here somewhere. Not, maybe I'm not sure where, but God is at work. Hmm. I kind of see the last two years, it's like, you know, when you get under stress, you take it out on your family the most. You're like, you're most vulnerable to your family. I think we've just been like that in the church. I, I don't know. I, it's sad. I don't have a problem with people having a different vision for what the church should be Mm-mm. and wanting to go live into that vision. 
I, I have no problem with that. No. But that doesn't seem like what's happening in the United Methodist Church. It's more of a reaction against something is what it feels like. Because and and then and then it gets co-opted through marketing and branding and it has to demonize the other. Both sides do this. You have to demonize the other in order to justify oh, yeah. your case. So when, you know, I was in a meeting in Kansas City in October, and there's an eight hundred United Methodists there, and they go through all these things like we want to keep our doctrinal standards. We want to keep this. We want to keep this understanding of covenantal marriage. Now we're going to open that up to be more inclusive of who that might include, all right? But yeah. we still believe in celibacy and singleness and fidelity and marriage. And it's like, there's like nothing that changes. All this was very traditional language. And yet, um, I, I don't know. It's just, and yet it, it's pointed to, I love it whenever there's some crazy wackadoodle thing that happens, somebody goes, oh yeah, well see, that's what the Methodist, that's what United Methodism's going to mm. be. Mm. I wonder. I wonder. This is. This may not be right. So I'm kind of test driving the thought. I wonder if both of those things and both those paths um, causes faith. Because at the end of the day, faith is risk. We're risking in a particular way that we think is faithful. And so to be able to say to a brother or sister, I, I can't go that way because that way is not a way of faith. I don't know. Uh, if the way I'm walking <laughs> is the way of, of is right in a sense of I I'm going to end up being justified, but there's a certain set of criteria by which I evaluate that, and this for me is is fidelity to the gospel. And so instead of having to kill each other over being right or wrong, just to say we're going to walk different paths, all, both of them um, um, are paths of fidelity. We think at the end of the day, I just don't. This is the path that I have to choose, like Martin Luther. This is <laughs> here I stand. I can do no other. You know, we just. What scares me the most in the in in what's happening, whether it's in the Methodist Church or the broader church, is the willingness, as you said, John, on both sides to do severe harm mm -hmm. to one another to to get to whatever the ending point is is going to be yeah. to yeah, the point where the you're, point? you're 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 harming one another which yeah. as methodists we like to let's quote wesley we do it every now and then outside of our ordination papers and we say we do no harm yet that's all we're doing to one another um through these twitter battles um and jabs that we're taking at each other uh and then in the end we're we're hurting the church i mean the witness. I don't know who wants to be. Yeah, I don't know who wants to be part of a church that is is willing to punch each other in the throat as as we you know. And then come ways. to the communion table. <laughs> it, I've always right? said, Let's, it's not. What's more important is how you disagree. Yeah, I think it, that's the the means. You know, everybody in our culture, it's the ends justify any means. That is not the way of Christianity. That's not the way of Jesus. The the means are more important than the end. I mean, the way we engage in this conversation is more important than where we end up. Yeah. I, in my, it, for, from the way I understand it, I mean, this love is radical. You know, Luke 6, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give, yeah. Uh, yeah. turn the cheek, give your shirt. It's this radical your, love. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just think we've, we, we really have to take a good long look in the mirror and ask ourselves, um, would we rather be reconciled or would we rather be right and i see it in family dynamics too i i lived it in my own life that there was a season of time mm -hmm. that i wanted to be right it was more important for me to be right than to be reconciled yeah
I wonder if that's what Fowler calls that uh, really a, a younger stage of faith, where I have to be right because my ideas have to win the day, really is about a developmental perspective of a cognitive kind of structure that is much more adolescent in its nature than mature. And a mature kind of spirituality is, I think, able to hold much more. There's not a duality but there, or a binary, but there's much more of a mystery. You know, and because of that, we hold our faith means we hold those things open to say, I'm not certain, but I do know um, maybe the nature and the character of God might work itself out this way, right? And so I think that there's a difference between, yeah, that certainty that I'm searching for and that mystery that we're called and summons to. It's one of those things, you know, whenever we gather around communion, we, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. I don't know. Uh, I, well, I, I know how Christ died. I have, I have the scriptures to tell me. I, I don't know how the resurrection worked. I don't know how Christ is going to come again, but it's this mystery of faith that God is going to do this. Mm. And it's been the witness of the church for, um, for centuries, for two millennia. Um, and so much of what we do now, just it, it completely sets the mystery aside and goes into these, you know, um, I'm right at all costs. I mean, I, I remember at the general conference in 2019, I was there and I just remember watching people falling to the ground, weeping, and then people standing really over them, jumping up and down, celebrating. And I'm like, like, holy hell, like, is this the church? Like what's happening? Am I, I live two miles from DC. That's what we do here, right? That's what my congregation does for a living, right? <laughs> They're in the business of winning at, you know, when it comes to politics or in court or, or whatever it is. That's not how the church operates. There's, we don't have winners and losers in the church. And yet that's, whether it's in our denomination or whether it's in, you know, um, competing with one another um, for, for, for congregants, for, for a pool of congregants that just seems to be shrinking every day, there's got to be a better way to do this that is more in line with the way that Jesus's own ministry worked itself, you know, worked the way he worked through it. Yeah, and that, and that's got to be the model of the church. I, I was it. Um, can't remember the the guy from SMU that wrote the book about truth and truth telling, and he said Christianity has chosen effectiveness over excellence. Hmm. We've chosen power over, uh, you know, power to, to we have to win, and so what's effective? This is why you'll hear people that will say, "Well, I don't support that candidate, but I support their policy." So I'll look the other way and just vote for the policy because effectiveness is more important. Instead of someone like John Piper, who I don't agree with his theology, said, I'm not voting for either one of them. <laughs> I can't vote for either one of them. And at least I'm like, okay, well, that's integrity. Mm. Um, but what happens is we go, well, this is my team, and I want my team to win. So I'll look over all the bad things to support my person. And I think that's one of the that's one of the things that, that has put us in a bad place. And Christianity's gotten so muddled up into all of this thing around uh, cozying up with power, yeah. and it's been going on for a long time, actually, like two thousand years, um, where we, you know, we want to win through power. And what we recognize is the church has always been at its best when we are on the underside when we are the marginalized, when we are the oppressed. And that's not any message that any American Christian wants to have preached to them. <laughs> but that's by Jesus's By Jesus's standard, the church is full of losers. 
in like today's world. Like we are a church of absolute losers. We don't, we're not supposed to seek out power. We're not, we're not supposed to be cozying up to it. We're supposed to give away our possessions to care for one another. We're supposed to do really everything uh, that's opposite to what the world tells us. At the transfiguration, like it's, it's not the disciple, you know, it's not the world having to come up to the mountain top to have the fullness of God, fullness of Christ revealed to them. Jesus brings that down the mountain with them. It is in Christ. It's God descending to us. That's why in the creeds, we say Jesus descended to hell, right? It's, it, it's, it's, it's God moving towards us, which is completely opposite to how the world works. Um, and more often than not, it feels as though the church is trying to get into the ascension business when Christ has already ascended, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, there, we don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We've been freed from that, which is hard to... It, I know p- people listen to this might be going, yeah, it's really easy for you to say, preacher. I get it. I've lived it. I'm living it now. Um, your, 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 your pastors who preach this stuff, like we are living it at the same time because we have committees who look over church attendance and find it, like, who check all the metrics for us. And, and we check those too. So I, 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 I get that side of it. But at the same time, we are following, um, you know, God who who does the who always does the opposite. Always, f- uh, a friend of mine wrote a book a few years ago uh, called Flipped, um, and and in it he talks about how Jesus, you know, uh, and uh, the you've heard it said, but I say, pa- you know, passages. It's just Jesus flipping constantly the way we've been taught, the way we've been formed by the world, and I I, I think. Um, I think Matt said it earlier, like, I know it was John, like talking about, you know, we, we've done, we, we've done a really good job at programming, right? We have tons of Bible studies for people, but we haven't formed yeah. disciples. Like we, we're not, there, a lot of head knowledge, but not a whole lot of what does this look like when I'm, you know, trying to go to work or at my kid's baseball game or, you know, in Costco fighting people for the last roll of toilet paper. Like those are things that we've actually done in the last year. And I would venture to guess that it was to say it was people from within the church who were doing those actions. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Jesus didn't <clears throat> call the disciples and say, okay, I want you to go three years to seminary. And then when you're done, come back and we'll do ministry together. And yet that's how we do it. When, when people come up and they're called into the ministry, we go, okay, you got to go to school instead of, um, you know, in, in the, in the, Black church tradition, they have a history and a, and a culture where they do, they bring members up who feel called to the ministry and they bring them up under them. They, they make, they turn them into staff, pastors, whatever, before they go to seminary. Yeah. We've got, we've got a friend who has felt called to ministry, an African-American friend of ours that, that basically told the preacher that he felt called. And the next day he was, the next Sunday he was preaching. Yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> and and there's a sense in which we like in some ways I think seminaries are preparing people for a world that no longer exists because we've stuck all of what we think Christianity is in an educational model, thinking that classroom is where change happens, rather than how do we then place people as community organizers in places of very deep diverse places or places where tension exists or places where things should not work out. Um, how do we think? creatively about where people need to be formed because that's the right word um and 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 educational knowledge is a part of that it's not the most important part 
those things were that word praxis, which is a, a you know that word that that means at least it you know that that the the book knowledge plus the sweat, right, um, is is where you learn. Um, well, the followers of Jesus weren't even really that smart guys. They, I mean, they were, they, I mean, they were workers. They were laborers or fishermen. Yeah. Matthew was a tax collector, but I mean, most of them were just they made their living off the earth. Yeah, practical. Hey, shifting gears. So mm-hmm. you're a, you're a United Methodist. Hmm. I yeah. For now, I am. There might be some brand changing here in a little bit. Uh, Talk about changing brands. Yeah. So um, the word on the street is this week they will announce um, whether or not we will have general conference this year. My money is on it won't happen. Why? What do you think? What do I think? I don't think it's going to happen. I don't <laughs> understand how they could have it happen. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, what's so interesting to me? Well, okay, let, let me ahead. ask this: Does anybody know? Is, is can can they achieve a quorum with a limited number of delegates outside the United States? No. Okay, then then, no, I, then it can't happen. No, and and even and even the folks who really, 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 really want general conference to happen have admitted as such and said, "Well, they can be virtual. That that group can can do virtual." while the rest of us meet, which we've already said we're not going to do virtual. Virtuals, I mean, you can't... No, not in this big of a dude, decision. We we had annual conference. What was, oh, no, last year we had a meeting of all the general and jurisdictional delegates just in the United States of America, where we have really good technology. And that was, forgive my French, I mean, that was just poop show. I can't cuss <laughs> because my mom and my mother don't like me cussing on the podcast. But, I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was horrible. Yeah, because all the chats that happen off that, it's well, no, just it's, it's, no, they, it's not that, but do, I don't know, were you on it? It's like they play the video of the bishop doing oh, right, the little right. devotion, and then halfway through it starts over, and I'm thinking, I think I just heard that. I think she's, I think she had a stroke. <laughs> I think she's repeating herself. And then it was like, oh, we can't, oh, you is... can't ask a question, and then no one could do it. And then they went, divided you up into like Zoom groups, or whatever, and it kicks you out. It's like, yeah. oh, now I'm by myself, and I'm texting everybody. He's like, are you still on? No, I got kicked out too. I'm thinking, yeah, we can do virtual. That's going to work real well. <laughs> It's because the church the church is cheap, and someone didn't want to pay for whatever upgraded, <laughs> yeah. no. upgraded thing needed to happen. No, the premium content. It's not like a, it's not like <laughs> right? Houston Methodist board meeting where they have the top of the line WebEx, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's got we're the on Zoom, we're on we're, we're on the premium Zoom account, maximum five hundred people. Sorry, you can't get in because we can't have more than five hundred. Oh, an hour and a half. We're going to get kicked off. We have to early and finish up this Somebody meeting. Somebody put in another quarter in the meter. <laughs> so anyway, what do you see? What do you think? I mean, I, I there was one, the, the one that I listened to recently was um, a retired United Methodist, uh, a woman who is from Texas. I don't know her. Christy. Yeah. Christy Thomas. Christy. I think you've had her on before. She, I thought she was really good, but she, she, she said like she's kind of disconnected from church now, I think at this point in her life. But um, at least from what I, I, I don't remember exactly, but. Yeah, she, I mean, so Christy was at, at the general conference in 2019 with, with us. Um, and she was, she's a retired elder. Uh, I'm, it's funny, right? Uh, two days before the general conference happened, I got commission. I got the approval to be commissioned. So it was like this really high mountaintop week for me. And then like came tumbling down and to just getting trampled on. Um, it was really great for my emotional well-being, but 
Christy was really there kind of, you know, putting her arms around us and, um, and being there to like help kind of guide us through what was next from a polity standpoint. Um, and she's, she made it clear. I mean, from talking with her on the episode and then just side, side conversations, that there's just no way for this to happen without, without us getting together. Um, and I don't, and just That's logistically, right. we can't do it. We can't get visas. People aren't vaccinated. Um, so, you know, and then I, I know some people wanted to get delegates vaccinated and I, and, and that's a weird political equity thing that happens in other countries. I'd, I would like to think that there, there was well, some well-meaning behind that. I don't, the cynic in me, you know, knowing that we well, it wasn't to, received what, well, it throat. wasn't received well by Africans and the folks Filipinos and yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm ambivalent on the issue, and but when it's their leadership that's talking about this colonialistic inequity, I'm like, mm -hmm. geez, well maybe yeah. you listen right. to that. I don't know, but I I think so. Yeah. So general conference gets delayed. What's and this is getting deep in the weeds probably for a lot of people. So if you're not if you're into still this listening. stuff, you can just turn off now. But <laughs> it's interesting uh, for us because, you know, this is our church. We've been, I've been in this yep. church my whole life. And like, like everyone it. who's involved in this process or most people. Yeah. And, you know, what, what does it look like? Do we just keep, do we just hang on for two more years and keep fighting for two more years? Or do we finally, does it finally dissolve and break apart? Um, maybe not in the way that we thought. What do you think? Well, I, I, what Christy said in that, that episode that we did with her was that we can't even just, sh like, we have to have a general conference to shut it. Like if we were just going to say, you know what, we, we can't figure out how to split. We're just going to shut it down and everybody can go off and do their own thing. We can't even do that. No, you can't. You still have to have a general conference. You can't, we can't make any decisions without the general conference. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's funny that, you know, we're, we're so beholden to polity, the, the govern, governance of the church, you know, and some people, you know, are, are really, st we're, we're sticklers for that. And that was kind of what got us to where we're at now is mm -hmm. um, the desire for the polity to be held, to, to be followed. And that's a conversation, I guess, for another day. But, you know, and then now we're trying to find loopholes to get around it so that we can have a divorce over making this, you know, over following <laughs> the rules. It just, it's getting into this muddy spot where, I don't, I, my, my, my biggest fear as a pastor is that our congregations are not going to wait for us. And the pandemic has provided them with a, it's the perfect storm. Yeah. We told people for a year that, Hey, you can be, we can be the church from home, stay at home. We'll worship online. We'll worship in smaller groups and all those different things. Um, and so we did that. We gave people permission to be at home. Um, but it's also a quick way for them to slip out the back door without us knowing it. Uh, and that's one of the, I, one of my fears, I think with the general conference is that we're going to, because more people are going to slip out the back door than we realize. Um, and all, 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 and at the same time, doing harm to, um, the, I'll say it, the LGBTQ community, like we're doing harm to them. We're doing harm to one another because we're just fighting at end about doctrine and property and money and, and, yeah, those things are important because they're resources that have been entrusted to the church. But at the same time, like we got to figure out how to do this now. Sounds like Russia. I don't know what the answer is. It sounds like Russia's invading Washington D.C. <laughs> up there. All yeah, the I live on the. Am 
I live on an ambulance route. I hear that 24 seven. Oh my God. My, my, our, we live in a parsonage. Uh, if you've never done that, I am. I've I, done it. Been there, done that. Yeah. Got the t-shirt. It's, it's for my congregants who are listening. Thank you. My family <laughs> loves the home. Um, it's a blessing. That's so good. I really love that. I really love that the ambulances drive by all the time. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm unfortunately, I've, tend to be more cynical on this issue. I think it's going to dissolve. I think if it's not, if we don't have it, then there's going to be uh, this fight to see if they can try to get certain annual conferences to exit in mass. You'll see church disaffiliations, which and some churches will wait. It certainly will be, uh, I, I think you'll see a lot more churches wait and remain with the United Methodist Church until 2024. But some of the ones that have been clamoring and this has been a very important issue for them and it's just in front of them all the time i think they're going to feel compulsed to go and Mm -hmm. my experience has been if it's a really big important issue for the pastor then it becomes a really big and important issue for the leadership of the church Mm -hmm. not even necessarily the whole church church. and that's where you see churches making decisions that are like i got to get out tomorrow or i got to get out yesterday or i have to do whatever i have to do i mean there's a lot of part of the united methodist church that i'd like to see go away blown up redone but i was a part of a group in indianapolis years ago when we were having these conversations Mm -hmm. and the first thing was like all right well we want to dissolve the denomination and start over with new denominations and i just said that's that would be great you can't do that yeah you i mean you cannot there's not even a constitutional way to dissolve the united methodist church i mean it's like those are the the parts of the discipline that cannot be changed and so it's like sorry and we got to have a different way to do it so it is we're, we're we're so our hands are tied and like you said without a general conference like even i was talking with a guy from Westpath uh, about all of this and he's like there's only there's only certain ways we can act and respond in this and there's only a certain way we can treat a church or an annual conference if that were to happen because without general conference without another general conference we're going off what was passed in 2019 and that's going to be disaffiliation and here's your payout and here's your thing i mean it's it's already defined and they can't change it and the whole conversation at this point has lost focus of the main thing right we're not even talking about making disciples we're not <laughs> no. talking about worshiping god right we're like if, 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 take gotcha. away the word church and it's essentially like a really bad divorce is what's happening you know we're fighting over who gets the who gets the china and who gets the antique heirlooms like that that's where we're at now um but we can't even get together to do that um and we've lost sight of the main thing in the process that's and a I, lot of couples going through divorce really don't want to get together to work that out that's right that's right that's why you get a mediator. You can do that over Zoom now. You get a mediator, but we already did that. We tried that. that. Didn't we? <laughs> we tried that. It didn't we, work. We screwed that up, too. <laughs> we divorced the mediator. <laughs> What's up? Too big to fail? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're just going to languish our way into whatever comes next. I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, I, have, I, do, have, as, I, I do have to have faith that you know, God is going to be able to make something out of this. Our church is going to close in the process, yes. But that was going to happen anyway. Retire early, that yes. was going to happen anyway. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, There's and a, for, I think churches, the, uh, yeah. the churches that I hear, and I'm very connected within the, you know, southeast and south central areas, a lot of the people that I know that are really not fired up about going to the new denomination, they're really not fired up about the United Methodist Church, 
Man, but they're just keeping their heads down. They're doing uh, ministry in their neighborhoods, in their community, and they're doing they're they're doing okay. Yeah, they're making it, and it's almost like it's an existential threat out there that's almost trying to create something to make it bigger than it really is. It's not a threat for them or for most churches in their local context. That's why it's going to be a disconnect when they show up at their annual conference or whatever and say, oh, by the way, we're going to vote to like totally leave and join some brand new thing, and you're not going to know how it works. And I got to go back home to Aunt Betty and Grandma Susie and say, oh, the church hmm. you've been a part of your whole life, where Uncle Teddy is buried out in the backyard of the church, it's true. Go to South Georgia. Most of those little county seat churches have cemeteries in the backyard. And it's and it's just going to be like an identity issue. They're like, well, I've never had an issue with any of this. What's the problem? I mean, it's scary if you think about how far we've come, if churches haven't had the conversation. Like if you've had your head so far in the sand that you haven't had that conversation yet, either as your pastor hasn't had it or... Um, people within the congregation. I mean, because it was pastors, are, news here. pastors are skilled practitioners at leading people through very difficult conflict and animosity yes. and enmity because they're not afraid to stand up because most pastors don't care what anybody thinks about them. I, I remember my, when the, what, one of the things I remember most from my pastoral counseling classes, class, sorry, not classes, class, class <laughs> you know, in seminary, two, two hours, professor walks in and he goes, um, uh, he called, referred to himself as the lead learner and said that we all had A's at the beginning of the semester, that it, it, was, it was his responsibility to make sure that we all had A's at the end of the semester. And if we didn't have A's at the end of the semester, he had failed. And I said, well, I'm going to close my book. I'm good to go. It's on him now. It's not on me. But one of the things I remember from that that class was he said, uh, with, you know, for pastoral counseling, you do three sessions and then pass off, right? So we have people who are mediating this divorce who have been trained to pass to pass the problem off to someone who's more skilled. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, so we we've, we've passed ourselves off to some, you know, to to I can't remember the gentleman's name who, who was our mediator, um, and. And then we passed ourselves off from him on to someone else. And like, we're just going to, it's who we, it's how we, it's how we've been trained to do this. That's so um, true. I, it's so true. It's, I, I don't, I'm not saying that I, that I want to become a pastoral counselor. That's not what I'm, I don't believe that's what I'm called to do. My wife would tell you I'm not skilled at that area, but uh, I, I do think that this is, you know, kind of tying, tying what we were talking about earlier. This is a product of a, system that's formed itself around knowledge and education, and we're just going to debate ourselves out of this, or we're going to debate ourselves into the ground. Wow, that's a great you guys invited me way on. To, to end our podcast. <gasps> no, it's not your fault at all, Tira. It's it's us. You guys invited me on to talk about some really happy stuff. I know. I'm going to go run out in traffic now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ambulance, God. but you're close Thank to God the ambulance. You're on ambulance route. <laughs> you get right on right? an ambulance route, <laughs> so you might make it. Might be yeah. okay. <laughs> Tier, thanks for coming and yeah. being with us. <laughs> thanks. This has been I, fun. I'm, I'm going home. <laughs> you know, hey, we we just had to, we do what we do, and uh, this has been fun though. Everybody, check out your podcast. Well, you have several, but Crackers and Grape Juice, and then mention the others Let's again. Crackersandgrapejuice.com. Crackers and Grape Juice, strangely warmed. You're not accepted. Hermeneutics. Let's check those out. Then go. And we have 
crackers and grape when in, in in the world of subscription services you can go to crackers and grape juice plus Ooh. where we say all the things that we can't say we need plus but you have to pay for it you gotta mm. pay for it but then we could really it's, like because my mom wouldn't pay for it then i could really cuss yeah yeah you could that's good but but here's the thing you you can give people free subscriptions so your mom would probably get angry that you didn't No, give her i'm the, gonna edit that out jeff so she doesn't know that's available no for his mom, it's five hundred dollars an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Tier, thanks for being with us. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Well, I'm John Stevens, and I'm Matt Russell, and this is Pod Have Mercy. Mm-hmm.